I want to bless you as we get going because we want God to help you and meet with you where you're at today and this week and, and intervene in your life for good ways. So I want to start by blessing you. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. I bless you that you'd be healed if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to flourish and prevail in whatever challenges you're going through right now. I bless you to receive the guidance from God that you need, the help of God that you need. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and peace and love, whatever you're going through. May, may you have that from God, from God himself during this time. I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. All right, welcome back to our study here of Moses and, and really what we're learning about God at Mount Sinai. Just as a reminder of where we're at, here's a, a screenshot from Google Earth with some drawings on it pointing to where we're at now. If you're new here and visiting and you're like, oh, Brian, that is so embarrassing. You put the arrow and the dot at the wrong place. Everybody knows that the Mount Sinai is in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. You missed it. Um, okay, uh, uh, well, just go back on YouTube, and, and, and we've talked a lot about this, but basically the Bible places, the Mount, uh, the Mount Sinai of the Bible at least, in Saudi Arabia, in Midian, which has to be to the right of, of the Gulf of Aqaba. So we've been looking at that, and plus, we, as we've discovered, we know where the real Mount Sinai of the Bible is because our, all the archaeology, everything the Bible describes being there is still there. Two weeks ago, we looked at Elijah's cave briefly. We looked at these, the boundary markers that, that Moses had placed around the, the uh, mountain as directed by God and how they were painted with no, don't, don't trust, pass, lest, shot to death with arrows. Uh, last week, we heard from Fiona who talked about the tabernacle of God, which was built here at this mountain and as we're uh, looking at this area. At Mount Sinai, basically, this is where God is teaching the nation who he is, what he is like, how he wants to be worshipped, what makes him happy, what it means to follow him, how to follow him, him well, how to live a life that honors him. The nation is learning about this, and we're, we're seeing this um, at, at this mountain. Two weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 19 and 20 of the book of Exodus, and we saw how, uh, how God revealed himself in a rather terrifying moment for the people, uh, but in this awesome display of his power at Mount Sinai. Uh, here's some pictures from last time. Um, y y we talked about how the appearance of God was kind of like a volcano, other th except for Jabal Makla is not a volcano, but, but all the descriptions of it, earthquakes, thick furnace-like smoke, uh, fire, lightning, thunder, kachiga, kachiga, you know, that, that, sort of, that sort of stuff, like just all this awesomeness of, of God's power. Now, I, I put the, this other picture, I zoomed back a little bit more from this Googler screenshot because, you know, think of the little people down there, little people down at the bottom there, and looking up and see how wide the, the burnt line is, which means that's where the, the smoke and fire and billow line is. Um, by the way, my son texted me after that message two weeks ago. He was like, Jabal Makla means burnt mountain, Dad. Okay, so thank you, Ethan. Yeah, so that's a shout out to Ethan. But we got this burnt mountain. Stuff. But you can see how wide it is. If you're this little person, it's not like just this pillar of smoke, but you're looking at this lightning and the thunder and just the awesomeness of God. It's terrifying. It's so 
wide compared to just the little people down there. Anyways, God revealed himself that way so that they would rightly fear him. Not in, the, in a terrified way, but that they would have a high respect for him. And that respect for him would keep them from sinning. Oh yeah, we, we serve a very powerful, mighty, extraordinary God. Okay, we'll do, we'll do what he says. And then God starts laying out these directions of what it is to follow him for several chapters here. After chapter 20, again, many chapters of, of laws and rules, and I know that you wish I would go through each of the rules in the book of Exodus and, and, go, and go through that, but I, I'm, I'm kind of sticking with the story. You can go back and read all the particular laws himself, but, but they've been taught about these laws from this magnificent God, and then we get to chapter 24, and we see an, God revealing himself in another important way in chapter 24. Let me start off by just reading a Two verses here in Exodus 24, starting in verse 4. Exodus 19, 21, 20, 30, back, 27, 23, 24. There we go. 24, verse 4. And it says, And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh, of the Lord, which, which were in the last several chapters here. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. God had given him some directions on this. Uh, then he set out young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Uh, now, I think I've said this once or twice, but what surprises me about this Mount Sinai location, Jabal Makla, is that that all the archaeological remains are just right on top of the ground. I guess I'm used to thinking about Egypt, right? And if you want to find the archaeology connected to the Exodus, you've got to dig through the sands. You've got to sift through the sands. Or the archaeology in the Bible land. Like, in, you, have to, you have like a, a town or a city or a house or a temple, and then that's destroyed, and then, and then there's another civilization that moves in, and then that's destroyed, and then it's destroyed again. And you've got like thousands of years of destroyed layers and burnt layers and, uh, at, at every site. It's, it's hard to sift through because of just the, the trauma of that land. But here at Jabal Makla, Jabal Allah is the, the real biblical Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb of the Bible. You have it all just sitting on top of the ground. Like it's, it's not buried in the sand. It's, it's just been in this area where people just never have lived. And so it's just like it was three and a half thousand years ago, right after the people left. I mean, it's basically been untouched. And, and to this day, this area is protected. There's, there's um, Saudi Arabia, they know what's going on here. They have it fenced off. They've got signs in multiple languages. They've got armed um, police there guarding this site so that people don't access it. They know that they're sitting on one of the most holy locations in Judaism. A very big deal to Christianity. Saudi Arabia is not looking for a tourist invasion there into that area. But they also are preserving it because it's also a big deal to the Muslim faith. And the reason is because uh, Muhammad goes there. And, and actually, he seems to have. Because what he writes about, about what he saw and experienced there, also fits exactly with this same location. So you've, you've got this stuff undisturbed, not buried in sand, just sitting on top. Uh, so pretty spectacular. I, I, just, I just love all that. But let me show you some pictures of the altar area. Okay? Now, 
Um, again, Moses is instructed, and it's supposed to build an uncut stone altar at the base of the mountain. That top picture is probably not going to work well for people in the room, but you can see the little, maybe you can, maybe you can't, the little blue dot at the bottom left corner of that picture, that's where the altar site is. And if you're on Google Earth and, and you're zooming in, you can see this like, I don't know, chevron shape or arrow kind of, I can't call it a triangle, I don't know what the technical phrase is for that shape, but like this, this wedge shape at the base of the mountain, as the Bible describes, you can zoom in on it, I, oh, you would have to have fantastic eyes to see it in that particular uh, picture, but it's there. Um, the top right picture is somebody standing in the stones in this area, he must have jumped the fence and, and all that sort of stuff. I think, I think I remember his name is Ryan, uh, uh, but, but maybe, maybe that's not true. But he's, he's, in, he's in that area. Um, drone footage is easier. This is the bottom picture, same picture, drone footage of this altar site. Now, uh, I, on one picture, I, I put some colors on it just so that you would know what I'm talking about. The blue circled area is the animal holding area. Like that, that's where they would put all the well, in this case, bulls, uh, and uh, there, they would hold them there. The green area is where they would slaughter the animals, and then the red area was where the burnt offerings were, and that's the bit that's actually closest to the mountain, right at the, at the base of the mountain. I just, I just find it amazing that it's just, you know, relatively undisturbed here at the base of the mountain. But Exodus 24 says, they set up an altar, the base of the mountain, uncut stones, sacrifice bulls, offering. It, it, it's, it's designed just like a Hebrew worship site. It's, it's pretty amazing. You can still see it today. But that's not the only thing that's at this worship site. Also, the Bible says there's pillars. In fact, just verse 4, uh, again, of chapter 24, Moses wrote down all the words. He rose up early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. We, under, we also understand that they are, um, they're made of marble, uh, according to, to some other verses here. But yeah, 12 pillars. Now, those pieces are also still there in the same area. The top one is not a picture, it's an artist rendition. Okay, you got 12 um, pillars there. I have always imagined them in a straight line. Um, my imagination is, doesn't matter at all. Uh, so but that's one artist's version of it. The top right picture, I circled all marble pieces laying on the ground, like marble pillar pieces, round marble pieces in blue. They're just scattered all through the area there. Yeah, you can see that. And then the lower pictures are just of some of these marble pieces laying on the ground everywhere. Um, round. I, I, you know, I've read this before in the Bible, read through, like 50 times, 20 times, whatever. Um, I've read this before, and I, I've always been like, how? Like, did they, like, cart massive slabs of marble with them when they left Egypt, like, across the Red Sea, and all, like, no. Apparently, it just so happens, on Jabal Makla here, partway up, much of the way up, there is a big slab of white marble sticking out of the side of the mountain. And they definitely pulled it from here because you can see in that area, in that quarry there, marble quarry, that, that some of the, their attempts at carving marble pillar pieces 
are still there. Some of them broke, and they abandoned them, and they started another. They have others that are in process of being started. They, they, they got the marble right there from the mountain. They pulled it down, and they built these 12 pillars. Now, I just, is this not, is this not wonderful? I mean, I, I love that, you know, we, we read the stories of the Bible, and, and there has been a, a messaging, a lie in, in the previous century, more than such 150 years, 140 years here in Scotland, that's like, oh, the Bible's not true. It's just, it's an interesting, it's, a, it's got interesting, helpful stories. No, 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 no. The Bible is, is, is true. Like, this stuff happened. Like, this is, this is exciting. This is, this is powerful stuff. God really did meet with his people in the wilderness and, and, to the detail, they are worshiping him, just as the Bible describes, out in the middle of nowhere. That can be seen even to this day. I, I love this. But that's not actually the bit we're trying to get to. That, that's fun here. But something really marvelous takes place in chapter 24 in this area. So they, they have this, this worship area that they set out, and then the elders of Israel have a meal with God. It says down in, in verse 9, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders, 70 of Israel's elders. So there's 74 of them, right? And they saw God. Wow. And they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him and they ate and drank. Here's some pictures of where this is at. Uh, so the first one is my um, drawing on Google Earth picture from a few weeks ago. Um, and just so you wouldn't get lost, I labeled the top of the mountain top. I should, should clear that one off. Uh, but yeah, top of the mountain. Um, the red lines are where we discovered the boundary markers around the, the base of the mountain. The black ovalish area is the worship site, where the altar is, where the pillars were set up. The purple circle was the cave of Elijah, which we, which we saw, the only cave on the mountain, but the cave there. And then there's a plateau, and that is... I'd, I'd hate to call that a square. Anybody with any background in maths would realize that's not even close to a square. But that area, there's a plateau way up on the mountain uh, where this is one plateau. That's where this worship event uh, takes place. The pictures on the left are from a drone. And the, the top one is right up against the lip because I was hoping... That we could get some sort of perspective of looking over and seeing how high we up. And all the little people down there. And just, we are way up there. I don't think it worked. I mean, I, I, it's good, good to try, Brian. Thank you. But better pictures next time, please. Thank you. The other one is, is back further uh, from the plateau. And you can see there's plenty of a flat area up here for 74 people and the God of the universe uh, to, to, to have a, a meal here up up on this up on this plateau but what's happening on this plateau right what's happening up here in this location it's another powerful god moment an incredible incredible god moment but it's very different 
from the one that we had two weeks ago. Last time, God descends in fire, in lightning, in earthquake, in deep darkness, smoke, massive, terrifying awesomeness. This time, God's not concealed by darkness at all. It says they saw him. It says they saw him. Very different moment with God here. Now, I, I love it. I appreciate it that they don't describe what God looks like. You know, they, they keep that, that bit special and, and sacred. But they saw him, and, and they, the observation that Moses makes is what God was standing on. It's like he's standing on this, 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 this thing which was like lapis lazuli. And it was clear as the skies up, but like lapis lazuli. Okay, what is that? Is that even how it's pronounced? I don't know. I'm just saying it confidently. I have no idea how it is pronounced, but, but, but you don't either. I, I don't even know if you know what it looks like. I didn't know what it looks like, so I Googled it, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe I'll throw in a picture so we can all enjoy the interesting of it. This is, this is kind of what it looks like, and I'm like, oh, you know what that looks like to me? Um, the sky not in Glasgow. Uh, like, it's not just white, so but, so, but you've got this, like, sky, and like, look, you know, if you're like, okay, flecks of stars or bits of clouds or something like that, but it looks like the sky, it's, it's like, like God peels open this door to, to, and drops a piece of like him in heaven, like, like God of the universe, but, but also here present with them. It, the Bible is clear, it's not lapis lazuli. Uh, it, it looks like, that's what its appearance was like, what God was, was standing on. And, and the last time that God met with the people in chapter 20, it was this awesome, terrifying moment. But this time, it seems a lot more peaceful. It just seems more peaceful. It's like a family time, like a family meal with God. And I think what, what jumps out at me is that God, He wants us to take Him very, very seriously. To honor Him, to respect Him, to give Him the word, the praise and the honor, that is, to, to, to fear Him in the good way, and so that we don't sin, because He is awesome and powerful. But He also wants to know that He loves you, and He wants to have a relationship with you like your family. The Bible is so clear that God thinks of you, who have given your life to Him, as part of His own family. His own family, that, 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 that he is like a father to you. Now, if you have had a horrible father experience in, in your life, great news. I'm sorry about that. That's awful. I'm sorry. But, but great news, like God wants to redeem your, your situation and be to you a spectacular, perfect, good father. And, and to love you as you ought to have been loved and better as, as a father, he wants this relationship with you. In Jesus, we have been adopted to be very real, in a real, real way, part of the family of God. Jesus says, now I want you to pray to God, not, not God of the universe, but Father. I want you to call him Father. And Jesus, he is our friend, our king, and our brother. Family, we're a part of the family of God. Uh, just uh, God wants both of both aspects of of God's awesomeness, His power, His His wonder, and the wonder of His the family aspect of Him to be known by His people. 
I want to point out, so I'm not sure that you're, if you've seen this yet in your Bible read-through or if it's, it's yet clicked. I mean, maybe you've read it, the Bible several times now or maybe you're in your first read-through. But have you noticed, have, is it ever connected with you how, how much God uh, obviously loves to be worshipped, but how much he has this idea of eating a meal with him as a central part of worship, Old Testament, New Testament, and in the future? Have you yet clocked that? I mean, we, we think about worship as singing and praising. We're singing. We're singing. Yeah, like, we, we, and great. And that's, that's part of biblical worship. Offerings, definitely part of biblical worship. Living, you know, offerings by faith. And in the Old Testament, they would bring their, their first and their best. And they would, they would be faithful whether the season looked like it was going to be a prosperous one or not at all. They would bring their offerings to the priest. The priest would do the sacrifice. The, there would be some of it burnt, some of it for the priest but also some of it for the, the person. And they would gather in God's presence and have a meal with him three times a year. Uh, you can see the, the, the pottery all over Shiloh where they did this for centuries. But, but also, like, we practice this here. Three times a year as a church, we, we stop and we have a feast with God here in, in God's house. And we, we celebrate, we have a meal with God and, and, and as his people here. But it's not just this three times a year thing that we see in the Bible when it comes to meals with God. He loves it as part of worship. I, I, does it not seem wonderful to you that the God of the universe, oh, I can do that better, that the God of the universe, 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 loves to be worshipped by having a meal with you. The Jewish people sometimes throughout the centuries have got this, sometimes, and they will have on their holy day, their God day, their Sabbath, they will have a God meal some, sometimes in some situations where they will light a candle or, or several candles to symbolize God's presence. God is light. God, God is a consuming fire. They will light a candle that, and say, okay, God is here. They will make sure that they're talking about God. They will bless everything. They will bless their children. They will bless the people, the visitors. They will bless the people in the home. They will bless the food. They will bless, bless the wine. They will, they will bless and pray over everything. They, they, will, um, they will sing. They will sing at, at their, their time together. They will have a God meal with their family, with their family and friends as part of their worship, they're seeing what sometimes we haven't seen because it's not necessarily as much a part of our culture, but it's everywhere in the Bible. In the New Testament, the church is doing this. Every day, Acts chapter 4, they're meeting together in one another's homes, breaking bread and, and, and fellowshipping with one another. They, they include in their God meals of the remembering of Jesus and his salvation with communion. Taking communion together in each other's homes. Like having this, this God meal, not just with the Father, but, with, but also about Jesus, and our brother, and, and the great salvation that he applied. And again, eternity begins with a God meal. Welcome to eternity, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's amazing how cover to cover, meals with God is how he ideally sets up worship in heaven. Uh, in the early church, in, in the Old Testament. I think it's something I've completely miss, um, uh, missed. Uh, missed. So, yeah, meals with God. God's big, powerful, 
amazing, but he wants to have a family meal. He wants to know that we're family, and he wants you to know that you're part of his family, and he is a good father to you. So the challenge, let's try this. Now, I, I wrote this on um, Wednesday, and it's taken me four days to have the courage to be like, okay, I think, because it's weird. But why is it weird? It's, it's, if this is like what God loves, I think we should give this a go. So here's some tips on having a meal with God. I suggest not doing this alone. Oh, but it'd be so less awkward not alone. I know. I know. Um, we'll get past that. Maybe with your family, maybe with some friends. Uh, but get some people together and tell them. <laughs> We're going to have a meal with God. And they're going to be like, what? Listen to this message. Brian brought it. It was amazing. And then, uh, you know, set it up nicely. Light a candle symbolizing God's presence at the meal. Or maybe three candles. Father. Uh, consuming fire, Jesus, light of the world, Holy Spirit, you know, tongues of fire, Pentecost, like, like the Trinity there or whatever. Have worship music playing, the environment of heaven, right, with, with worship and maybe, maybe um, I'm probably just going to YouTube um, soaking instrumental worship or whatever uh, and have that playing or just Naomi, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Uh, have a, have, talk about God at this meal. Talk about God to, to those who are there. Have conversations about God. Um, pray for the food. Pray for each other. Pray for each other at this God meal. Take communion together, as the early church did. Again, celebrating Jesus and our great salvation. Wow, if, if that seems weird to you, um, welcome to Christianity in our century. Uh, but wow, looking at the Bible, I'm like, this, ooh, this, this is something that God likes. I want to worship him in ways that he likes, past, present, and future. Ah, I cherish this. God, smoke, fire, lightning. Let's have family meals with his people. Amazing. May you feel cherished and loved and blessed as you, as you give this a go. I want to I pray for us. And the first thing I want to do as, as we close our eyes is maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, Brian, this is all good and all, but I know or I think that I'm not in the family of God. I've not actually given my life to Jesus, but I want to be in the family of God. I want to be in the family of God. How do I do that? Well, I suggest praying a prayer where, in a sense, you dedicate your life to following Jesus. I would pray something like this in this time, like, God, here I am. I want to be a part of your family. I want you to adopt me into your family. And so I dedicate now my life to Jesus. Whether things go good or whether things are, are challenging, I, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus with my life. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Adopt me into your family. My life belongs to you. For the rest of us here, I want you to just think about how marvelous it is that God loves you like a father in a good, the best way ever, like family, family, to love you, to cherish you, to protect you, to provide for you, to help you. Father, I'm so thankful 
that you're not just only the God of the universe, which you are, but you're also our Father, our Heavenly Father. Bless you, bless your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.